Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. That's right, everybody. We are back with a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I am your host, the purveyor of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita, and I am by myself tonight. Wanted to get on the microphone and recap round two, part one of the Democratic debates we just had last night. Round uh, part two is going on tonight as I speak, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, and then I think what's going to happen is on Monday, I will get Johnny the Jew in studio and we will recap. We'll kind of do like a full recap on the debates, but it'll mostly be the, the part two. Tonight we have going um, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, um, Tulsi Gabbard. I'm looking forward to hearing from, um, we have the crazy author lady, Marianne Williamson. She's a, she's a wild card for sure. And, um, ah, you got the Blasio in there. A couple guys, like that guy I can, uh, you've never seen before. Never heard of him. Doesn't really matter. And then Cory Booker, right? Those are, those are the main people up on stage. So we'll see how that goes. But as far as last night is concerned, I thought I would give my thoughts on that with hopefully sort of a different take or a different angle on things because what I want to talk mainly about today is how is this sense that I'm getting that everybody in the country, everybody is delusional. And people seem to be happy in their delusions and they embrace being delusional in order to push a political agenda or to reinforce their political ideology. And so I want to tie in these debates with a couple of uh, current events that happened over the last few days and we'll... uh, We'll just go from there. So, you know, the majority of the night was was dedicated. The majority of the night was spent bickering back and forth between the more realistic Democrats and the full-blown socialists. So here's the political landscape as I see it this day and age, right? On the, on the Republican side... As Michael Malice brilliantly pointed out, conservatism is nothing more than progressivism driving the speed limit. These so-called conservatives that we have today, I have no idea what they're claiming to conserve. It certainly isn't small government or limited government or anything like that. They are in favor of everything that the Democrats held so near and dear to their hearts Just a few decades ago, all these enormous bloated government programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, that Democrats used to champion are now being pushed by conservatives as well. You'll hear them talk about preserving these programs, not cutting anything, not abolishing them. You'll hear them talk about infrastructure spending and public works projects, government stimulus. Trump is all big on this stuff. And all these things that have been historically cornerstones of the Democratic Party are now 
fully ingrained in the modern-day Republican Party. Trump has just been the icing on the cake or the nail in the coffin. He has gotten the Republicans to abandon any semblance of principle they might have had in favor of larger, more powerful, more indebted, more, more centralized government than ever before, to the point where it's, it would be impossible for them to claim that they still somehow favor fiscally conservative policies. I mean, after this last budget passed, it's over. Their hypocrisy would be too much to overcome. And that says a lot in politics. Now, on the Democratic side, speed limits went out the window years ago. Okay, we are on the Autobahn right now. Positions that Barack Obama was elected on less than 10 years ago make you literally Hitler today. Okay, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's hilarious because it's the same people cheering. It's the same people that cheered for Obama and all his policies are now cheering for the people claiming that those policies make you a Nazi. That's how deeply rooted this tribal mentality is. So the Democrats are on the Autobahn. And over there in the right lane, you know, the slightly slower lane on the, on the highway with no speed limits are the so-called moderates. They're essentially full-blown socialists driving the minimum speed limit on the Autobahn. <laughs> I mean, these are the Hickenloopers, the Tim Ryans, the uh, Klobuchar, Klobuchar's, I forget how to pronounce her name, uh, Joe Biden, Tom, uh, John Delaney. These are the guys that are trying to sort of reel in the craziness just a little bit. Not because they don't believe it. Not because they don't want to tax you at 70%, institute a wealth tax, increase capital gains tax, Medicare for all, free college, debt jubilees, total government control of the healthcare sector, the education sector, you know, the whole nine yards. Not because they don't believe in that, but because they don't think it's politically feasible at this point in time. You know, we'll get there, of course. We just have to take it easy on the gas right now. Take it easy on the gas pedal. Just give it a little time. <laughs> and, then, and then you have the Bernie Sanders, the Elizabeth Warrens, and their soon-to-be successors like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, my favorite Democratic Socialist, who are all out, pedal to the metal, let's drive this car right off the cliff as fast as possible, full-blown socialists who claim we need big, bold ideas to fix the country. You know, these big solutions like the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, anything and everything you need provided to you by the government. And every other socialist utopian promise that you can think of that when attempted has resulted in utter disaster. Venezuela being the latest victim, of course, by that point, when the socialist chickens come home to roost and they're faced with the reality of their idiotic policies, then, of course, it becomes the, that wasn't real socialism. We want Denmark. <laughs> um, and so that's what was going on last night. The far left, they call them radicals. I don't you know, I don't necessarily care for that term. I don't think what they're proposing is very radical. To me, radical implies that there's some out-of-the-box thinking. Dredging up failed Marxist ideas, dusting them off, and rebranding them as democratic socialism, to me, that isn't radical. <laughs> but whatever. They call them radicals. It was those guys against the slightly more moderate Democratic candidates arguing over how far left the party should go on various topics. You know, healthcare, immigration, taxation, how much of what you earn the government is entitled to, touched on reparations, and various arguments on the best approach on how to beat Donald Trump because obviously that's all that matters, right? However, there was one area where everyone seemed to be in total agreement. 
And of course, that is that Donald Trump is a racist. Racism is bad. Being a racist is the worst possible thing anyone can be. You know, these very bold, controversial, and heroic positions to take in modern-day America. But anyway, I've been meaning to get an episode done on the events of the past week that I think have a, a common thread, and these debates were also yet another great example. And I mentioned it at the, at the top of the show, and that is the denial of reality. The, the media is delusional, politicians are delusional, and all of these voters are delusional. And if last night is any indication, we apparently want to be. We all want to be delusional. We all want to live in this fantasy world where our wise overlords in Washington appoint some czar to some position of authority. They snap their fingers or wave a magic wand and boom, everything is awesome again. You know? we, we all seem to want to believe that so desperately that we're more than happy to live a life of delusion. I mean, think about it. There was not one mention, not one. Not in the two and a half hours last night or the six hours of debates in the first round a month ago or so. Not a single person mentioned the fact that not only can we not pay for any of these pie-in-the-sky socialist fantasies, but we can't even pay for the fantasies you've already bought into. These politicians have already written checks that their asses can't cash. We're closing in on $23 trillion in national debt. That's just what we currently owe. That's not even a quarter of what they've already promised to deliver to you in terms of government handouts and programs. The only thing more delusional than thinking we can have Medicare for all at uh, like $40 trillion price tag or something like that by simply raising taxes on billionaires is thinking that we're even capable of paying off the debt that we've already racked up. No mention of any of this. None whatsoever. National debt didn't even come up. The Fed didn't come up. Interest rates didn't come up. Do you have any idea what happens to the debt service on $23 trillion if interest rates return to just normal historical averages? You know, like 5%. I know, I know anytime I start talking about interest rates and the Federal Reserve, people's eyes glaze over, but just bear with me for a second because this is very important, all right? The Fed just cut interest rates today. They got up to about 2.5%, and that was all that this phony economy can handle. They're going back down towards zero. It's only a matter of time. But eventually, the market will bring the rate of interest back to historical level, levels. And if interest rates go to 5%, do you have any idea what that does to the, to the, debt, the debt payments? Just on the interest, that's over a trillion dollars. Just on interest on the debt, not even principal. So there, it, there is just no chance of us paying this back. It's impossible. Doesn't come up. Not interested. We're fighting the longest wars in American history Barely. War barely got mentioned. It was like a footnote. It took them over two hours to get to the most important issue. They had to tackle climate change and environmental racism first. And then they just sort of glossed over foreign policy. A couple stupid questions. See, these things don't get brought up because they're not winning issues. In order to get elected... You have to tell people what they want to hear. You can't tell them the truth. You have to play to their desire to hear what they already want to believe. You can't explain to these lemmings that Medicare for all is impossible. They don't want to hear it. Nobody does. Nobody wants to hear it. Believe me, we will play the clips in a little bit. Some of these candidates tried. I mean, God bless Higginlooper. That was their whole argument. 
we have to be realistic about this, you know, not make a bunch of impossible promises to buy your vote. And anybody that tried that argument, you can hear it in the crowds. Tim Ryan, Hickenlooper, Klobuchar, Klobuchev, Klobuchar, whatever her name is, they're done. It's over for them. That's one of the reasons that this is such a bad system. This whole thing is a disaster. It perpetuates fantasy, incentivizes people to ignore reality, to lie through their teeth so that you can get into power. The other thing that's, <laughs> the other thing that's quite hilarious, and just another sign that this is just, just the dumbest system ever devised, is that you have like 15 seconds to try to explain something. Like very complex issues that could be discussed for hours have to be reduced down to less than a minute. I mean, it was a train wreck watching watching these debates last night. And that's what they want. They don't want to have to explain things. They don't want to have to make an actual argument. All they want to do is spout out some meaningless platitudes, tug on your heartstrings for a little bit, offer a compelling future with no details whatsoever. It's perfect. The most successful politicians, Donald Trump being one of them, they don't talk policy. They aren't policy wonks. They don't talk details. They're intentionally vague. They're as vague as possible. You know, they just have some bullshit slogans. A couple 10-second zingers, you know, the mic drops. Make America great again. MAGA, you know. That's what works. That's what sells. That's how you get elected. MAGA was brilliant from a marketing branding standpoint. Because think of how much is conveyed in just a few words. It says, it says to people, look, we used to be a great country. We're not a great country anymore. But we can be a great country if you vote for me. And all of the, all of the other blanks... All the nostalgia that each individual attributes to greatness, whatever it may be, all of them can align that with this slogan because it's so vague. It allows you to dream, to fantasize, you know, like Uncle Rico, wishing he could go back to high school and win state if the coach would just put him in. I mean, you could probably just get elected Literally just repeating that phrase over and over and over again and nothing else like a zombie. I mean, that's basically what Trump did anyways. So it means a million different things to a million different people. And they're all good. It's just four words. That's it. Make America great again. And I know, I know liberals out there are looking down on Trump supporters like they're such Neanderthals. They're so stupid. How could anyone believe that Donald Trump would make a difference? Look how naive they are. Look, you're not wrong, but you got to look in the mirror too. It reminds me of that scene from The Godfather with Michael Corleone and his wife Kay. You know, she calls him naive for thinking that she actually had a miscarriage when she had an abortion. And somewhere during the conversation, Michael Corleone compares himself to any government official. You know, something like, I, I don't do anything that any government official wouldn't do. You know, something to that effect. Which is very revealing, by the way. <laughs> and Kay tries to argue that she's like, oh, Michael, politicians don't have people killed. And he, his response is, oh, now who's being naive, Kay? Now who's being naive? Now who's being the delusional one? Let's do a quick rundown of the laundry list of things these Democrats plan to address while they're in office. Remember, this is the president who has no power. Healthcare and health insurance, they're going to fix the healthcare industry or create a system that provides the best healthcare imaginable to 320 million people, plus anyone that crosses over the border. Right. They're going to lower the price of prescription drugs. They're going to solve the immigration crisis at our southern border, you know, comprehensive immigration reform. They're going to completely, fundamentally change the entire economy 
by replacing fossil fuels, the fuels that literally everything in your life is completely dependent on. And they're going to do it in the next 10 to 20 years. Yes, I know. I know what you're thinking. It's been five years and they can't even get clean running water into Flint, Michigan, which came up in the debates, by the way. It's been five years, and they're still drinking bottled water in Flint, Michigan. But in 20 years, these geniuses in Washington are going to figure out a way to to run an economy without any cars running on gasoline or airplanes or anything like that. Okay. They're going to end racism. Not just racism, but healthcare racism, economic racism, environmental racism racism (laughs) apparently that's a thing now i learned about like four new types of racism from elizabeth warren of all people they're they're going to finally get around to fixing flint's water like i said Um, infrastructure across the country they're going to rebuild all of that obviously they're going to bring back manufacturing jobs and create millions of jobs but not just any jobs Green union jobs, you know, those strong unions are going to rebuild. They're going to reinvigorate the unions, all these unions whose pensions are severely underfunded, who are one of the greatest drivers of the long-term debt problem. They're going to end gun violence and mass shootings and take down the NRA. They're going to make college tuition free. They're going to forgive everyone's debts. (laughs) I feel like Joe Pesci in My Cousin Vinny now. Forget Godfather. I'm Joe Pesci. And let's see. Is there anything else that we can pile on to the top of the outcome of this election? (laughs) And if all of that wasn't enough, they're going to single-handedly stop the climate from changing. That's right. They're going to cool down the sun or reduce the sea levels. And, and, and put some carbon dioxide back into the soil or back into the air or whatever the fuck they think they're going to do by writing some laws down on paper. That's the plan. By passing some rules and regulation, by taxing the rich, they're going to put an end to tornadoes and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions, stop the planet from warming two degrees over the next century or cooling two degrees over the next century, whichever. It doesn't matter. You see, the policy prescription is apparently the same. Warming, cooling, just tax the rich, and the problem is solved. Brilliant. Okay. So give us your money, and we'll fix it. (laughs) I mean, and, and I thought George W. Bush was being ambitious when he said he was going to rid the world of tyranny. I didn't realize we had Captain Planet and the Planeteers here that are going to control the weather through legislation. But does that phase anybody? Does any Democrat watching these debates see the insanity? See how delusional this is? Think that we can control the weather of the world? Of the world, mind you. From passing legislation in Washington, D.C.? Of course not. They eat it up. These topics, these plans, they're met with roaring applause. Look, you know, feel how you feel about climate change, okay? It's obvious why they had to change it from global cooling to global warming and then finally settled on climate change. And actually now it's not a climate change, it's climate crisis. You know, the ticking clock is always an uh, an effective tool. But who could deny that climate changes, right? Obviously, climate changes. But you can deny the reasons for the changes are due to human activity. Now, if you actually look into this a little bit, actually look into it and not just take talking points from politicians, the science is settled, you will see that there are a lot of problems with that so-called settled science. But even if you want to take their science at face value, use their same reports, their same models, their same projections that they cite as evidence for their Green New Deal or whatever proposal they're making, it doesn't follow that their prescriptions to, their, to these perceived problems are actually going to, to solve anything at all. Bob Murphy has done some really good work on this subject. I highly recommend checking that out. 
I don't have enough time to get into all this today. But it, and it's not from a climate change denier perspective or anything like that. All he's doing is he's analyzing the report that the climate change advocates use as their justification for solutions, and he proves them wrong. But my point is, regardless of how you feel about climate change, if you honestly believe that one of those people up on stage there can can change climate, can solve this climate crisis just by getting on a blowhorn or something and yelling, barking out orders and organizing things in a certain way, you are delusional, okay? You're delusional. It's just amazing to me how delusional everyone remains and how it's just expected. It really is amazing to watch this political theater. You know, you watch them play the game of how they're going to rule over us, essentially. And watch all the willing lemmings sit there in the crowd on the edge of their seats, ready to cheer, just begging, begging to be told what they already believe. Begging to be lied to, begging to be told whatever they need to be told so that they can remain plugged in to the matrix. They eat it up with a spoon. But anyway, I, I did I did think that <laughs> I'll, I'll get into some of the actual um, actual participants in the debate. I did think there were some clear winners and losers and some pretty revealing moments in this first round of debates. As I mentioned, anybody trying to tell the truth, trying to level with the American people, trying to quash their dreams of free healthcare, free college, no debt, that's a losing message. So the Tim Ryans of the world, the, the Hickenloopers, John Delaney, Klobuchev, whatever that woman's name is, I hope she drops out soon because I cannot pronounce it. They're all dead on arrival. And I mean, Delaney, John Delaney looks exactly like Bill from King of the Hill. He is a spitting image. And I can't, every time I look at him, I can't keep a straight face. He's got this goofy smile. He, 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 you know, he, he's sort of like a, a more um, level-headed, wonkish kind of guy. Has Probably has some fairly reasonable proposals to a Democratic statist, but he, he has no chance. Pete Buttigieg, I think, had, had one of the more disappointing nights. I, I guess he did fine. You know, he doesn't really have a, a whole lot to say. He's, he's just sort of got that presidential vibe to him. He's a very, um, you know, he's clean cut, well-spoken. He, he says the right things. So he, he doesn't ruffle any feathers or anything like that. It's just kind of milk toast, I guess is the right word. I feel like people had some high hopes for him, and he just kind of fell flat tonight. Well, last night. Um... His messaging was a little off. He didn't do anything wrong or have any big gaffes or anything like that. He just lost some of his mojo, as a buddy of mine pointed out. Uh, let's see. Bernie. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. I mean, he probably had about as good of a night as he could have. He was angry Bernie. He was fired up. I mean, every time he spoke, he was literally yelling at, at you. And wagging his, wagging his freaking, he's got this long E.T. finger. And he's pointing it at everybody and wagging it in their face and yelling nonstop. For, when he was done, <laughs> when the debate was over, I just felt like I'd been yelled at, like scalded by my 80-year-old Jewish grandpa. Um, I, I don't know how appealing that is to people. But as far as he goes, like some some people can pull that off, some people can't. I don't know if if that's going to resonate with people. I think I know why he's angry. He's angry because the entire party has, well, not the entire party, because there's sort of like this civil war going on between the really far left and the and the more moderate wing. But the the, the party has really moved his way, and so there's. There's nothing to really differentiate him from anybody else. Everybody now wants all his Medicare for All stuff and 
you know, minimum wage, $15 and unions and all that, all that crap. Right. So I think he's getting frustrated because he can't, he can't separate himself. Everybody just agrees with him. So he just goes on these rampages and yells at you. <laughs> I, I just think he's so vulnerable in my opinion too. That that's the other thing. Like there were moments where you, you could have just knocked him the fuck out. Tim Ryan, Tim Ryan had one of these opportunities. He's, I think he's going to be the next one to drop out. It's either Tim Ryan or that guy from Montana. Um, he might beat him to it. <laughs> I think he just got into it. This is his first night. The, the only reason I know Tim Ryan's name is because he keeps getting pantsed in every debate. In the first round, it was Tulsi Gabbard. She fleeced him. You know, he did, he did that thing where he, he picked a fight with her and he he's, he said something like the Taliban attacked us on 9-11 or, and, and she just she just owned him. Um, and then he picks a fight with Bernie last night and, and Bernie sets himself up for an unbelievable knockout punch. He's basically sticking his chin out and saying, hit me. And Ryan completely blew the opportunity. So let's take a look at that exchange. Medicare for all is comprehensive. It covers all health care needs for senior citizens. It will finally include dental care, hearing aids, and eyeglasses. But you don't know Second that. of all. You don't know that, Second Bernie. of all. We'll come I, to you in a second, I do know, and I wrote the damn bill. <laughs> and second of all. Okay, let's pause it right there. So that was, that was Bernie's real drop the mic moment, right? The, you hear the, the crowd erupt. And he just, I wrote the damn bill as if because you put it on paper, that just makes it so. It's such a socialist thing. It's such a socialist mentality. Well, I wrote it down on paper. Therefore, it is. No, Bernie. No, that's not how it works. Just because you pass some legislation, just because you write something down on paper does not mean that that makes it into reality. Uh, Okay, let's continue. Second of all. Many of our union brothers and sisters, nobody more pro-union than me up here, are now paying high deductibles and co-payments. And when we do Medicare for all, instead of having the company putting money into health care, they can get decent wage increases, which they're not getting today. Senator Sanders does not know all of the union contracts in the United States. I'm, I'm trying to explain that these union members are losing their jobs. Their wages have been stagnant. The world is crumbling around them. The only thing they have is possibly really good health care. And the Democratic message is going to be, we're going to go in, and the only thing you have left, we're going to take it, and we're going to do better. I do not think that's a recipe for success for us. It's bad policy, and it's certainly bad politics. Okay, that right there was your shot, Tim Ryan, and you blew it. You blew it because you are a chump. Bernie Sanders is coming off a week of stories where he is being exposed for the charlatan that he is. I just did an entire episode on this. Go back and listen to last week's episode. He has been exposed. His workers unionized against, well, his unionized workers organized against him to demand that they, he actually pay them $15 an hour because he was Jewing them down. He was underpaying them. And then after that, once they, once they demanded $15 an hour, he cuts their hours. He doesn't increase their wage to make it $15 an hour. He tries to cut their hours. And then like a, a few days later, he's busted for retaliating against three of his, at least three of his unionized employees for organizing against them. And he, 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 he ridiculed them in the media, you know, called them out for going to the media and, and talking and not and, and breaking up the negotiations or whatever. Nobody's more pro-union than me. Literally everything that he just talked about in there, wage increases, being pro-union, providing health care. He only provides 85% of his own employees with health care. Like everything that he just said, he doesn't actually do in real life. And when he comes at you with, I wrote the damn bill, you have to come over the top with a fucking haymaker. Lay him out. He's a fraud. Bernie, you're full of shit. 
you don't believe any of this stuff. We know that you don't pay your workers $15 an hour. We know you don't give them full health benefits. They had to unionize against you. This is your number one issue, and your own workers can't stand working for you. I, I mean, that's just off the top of my head. Come on, man. That is like a layup. And that is why Tim Ryan is going nowhere. He doesn't have what it takes to debate. It just comes out, I'm trying to explain, blah, blah. It, who cares? It's over. It's over as soon as he said, I wrote the damn bill, and you come at him with some policy explanation. You got to knock him out. So, but I mean, yeah, Bernie, Bernie comes out on top in that exchange. And he definitely didn't hurt himself. I, I, I just felt like he was yelling too much. <laughs> And I guess nobody yells back at him. I don't know if they're intimidated by this old guy or what. But I guess some people find it appealing because he has a lot of supporters. So a lot of the night was sort of Bernie and Elizabeth Warren teaming up together because they were being attacked by all these moderates. There's like this civil war going on within the Democratic Party, right? And so instead of going at each other, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren sort of um, team up and, and defend their big ideas from the more practical socialists in the group, I guess. And Elizabeth Warren had, you know, one or two good moments as well, where she said, obviously nothing of importance, but garnered a lot of applause, like I was talking about, spouting off meaningless platitudes, and and one of these mic drop moments, you know, she did fine, she did fine, but Elizabeth Warren has the worst ideas, I think, out of anybody. She is horrifying. She's absolutely horrifying. And you should have seen the grin that came across her face when, when they asked John Delaney about her wealth tax because apparently he would be subject to it. She starts rubbing her hands together like she's chomping at the bit to get her hands on your wealth. I think she is legitimately evil. There was one hilarious moment where we apparently it wasn't hilarious to her because she scolded us for laughing. But let, let's give a listen because she's talking about somebody named Addie. It's got ALS. Here we go. Now, I want to have a chance to tell the story about my friend Addie Barkin. Addie is 35 years old. He has a wife, Rachel. He has a cute little boy named Carl. He also has ALS, <clears throat> and it's killing him. Addie has health insurance, good health Senator, insurance, and it's not Senator, nearly enough. I want to, no, I'm, gonna, I'm coming important. right, I'm staying with you. I'm staying with you, but, but you, you it exceeded your time. And so let me just stay with you on Medicare for All. All right. At the last debate, you said you're, quote, with Bernie on Medicare for All. Now, Senator Sanders has said that people in the middle class will pay more in taxes to help pay for Medicare for All, though that will be offset by the elimination of insurance premiums and other costs. Are you also, quote, with Bernie on Medicare for All when it comes to raising taxes on middle-class Americans so to pay for giant it? giant corporations and billionaires are going to pay more. Middle-class families are going to pay less out-of-pocket for their health care. And I'd like to finish talking about Addie, the guy who has ALS. This isn't funny. <clears throat> this is somebody who has health insurance and is dying. <laughs> Okay. Uh, actually, that is funny. That is hilarious. Not the fact that Addie has ALS and he's dying, but that you have you just you have to dodge the question and go right back to your anecdotal bullshit story. People are laughing. It just it feels like you're being like scolded by your third grade teacher. Hey, this isn't funny. Don't laugh. No, no. There'll be no laughing here. This is serious. This is serious. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. And, and, you know, she goes on and on, sob story, yeah, 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 we all get it. It's very sad. All we have to do is tax the, tax the rich, millions and millionaires and billionaires, don't worry, it's not going to fall on you. Right. We all, we all totally believe that. Okay. And that, that was kind of her, how her night went, aside from having to tell us not to laugh at her. <laughs> um, she did fine. The thing is, None of these Democrats are really going at each other. None of them are cutthroat enough. It, do, it seems like they're all kind of tiptoeing around each other. Yeah, they'll take a few little jabs here and there, but nobody is like savagely attacking anybody. And 
I use that word intentionally when referring to Pocahontas because she's going to be fine as long as nobody brings up the fact that she's a fake Indian. <laughs> I mean, the second she, if she gets the nomination, the second she is on stage with Trump, it is over. He is going to eviscerate her. She, like, it, she's pretended to be an Indian. It, it's over. It's just me ca- calling her Pocahontas constantly. I don't understand why any of these, well, I guess it, it's bad form in the Democratic nomination process to be insulting her like that. But Donald Trump doesn't give a fuck. I, I guess, you know, as long as nobody really goes after her for that, she, she and Bernie will be fine. Because here's the thing. It's really hard to make an argument that all, all these so-called moderates are trying to make where it's just like it's not a, a real principled stance because you're, you're advocating for a ton, of, a ton of government intervention all throughout the economy. It's like, well, we want the government to do 80, 85% of what you want, but we just can't go that extra 15%. We don't want Medicare for all. That's just crazy. We want Medicare for all 85% of the way. And it's just like, how, how do you argue that against somebody who's like, well, if 85% is good, wouldn't 100% be better? Like, why don't we just do it all? Why stop there? And, and so that's the, that's the problem they're going to have. Even if they had like a, a somewhat deliverable message, you can't, you're never going to out-Democrat, out-socialist the socialists of this party, out-promise the voters things. You know, they'll, they'll, Elizabeth Warren is always going to one-up you. No matter what you say, she'd be like, okay, yeah, we, we just tax their wealth then. Yeah, just keep going. Tax the hell out of them. She's just going to keep keep going, keep promising more things. And unless you, unless you come at it from a principled stance, you, how do you make an argument that she's wrong from a democratic perspective? You can't. And if you don't call her Pocahontas, I don't know, I don't know how else you attack her. <laughs> so... Um, it's going to be interesting to see if the gloves actually ever come off between these candidates because in order for any of these guys to, to advance, they're going to have to take some legitimate shots at these people. You can't just let her keep sliding on this and Bernie keep calling himself the most pro-union guy. But anyway, I, I don't think either of them are go- actually going to be the nominee. Bernie's just an old white guy whose ideas no longer separate him from the pack. And Elizabeth Warren, like I said, is a fake Indian. So I, I, don't think, I don't think they will end up getting the nomination, but they will be there until the very end. That's for sure. I think the big winner tonight, last night, I keep saying tonight, I think the big winner last night, and internet searches corroborate me on this, was Marianne Williamson. <laughs> That's right. The crazy, the batshit crazy spiritual author. <laughs> She actually surprised me. She she had a kind of a big night. I, I still have no idea what she's talking about half the time. But that doesn't matter to these bobblehead voters. She says it with conviction. She creates a compelling future. She makes emotional attachments. And she tells the voters what they want to hear in between a bunch of spiritual gobbledygook. She did a good job of separating herself from the Washington establishment. She just has the right mix of buzzwords, you know, racism, patriarchy, vague policy proposals, and an uplifting message to be dangerous. And she doesn't give a fuck. I mean, that's, that's clear. That's an important characteristic, I think. Because I don't know if she can be rattled. I don't, I, she's a wild card, you know? So l- let's listen to what she had to say, because she had a couple pretty interesting moments. Ms. Williamson, what's your response on the Flint water crisis? My response on the Flint water crisis is that Flint is just the tip of the iceberg. I was recently in Denmark, South Carolina, where it is, there is a lot of talk about it being the next Flint. We, we have an administration that has gutted the Clean Water Act. We have communities, particularly communities of color and disadvantaged communities all over this country who are suffering from environmental injustice. I assure you, I lived in Gross Point. What happened in Flint would not have happened in Gross Point. This is part of the dark underbelly of American society. 
the racism, the bigotry, and the entire conversation that we're having here tonight. If you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. We need to say it like it is. It's bigger than Flint. It's all over this country. It's particularly people of color. It's particularly people who do not have the money to fight back. And if the Democrats don't start saying it, then why would those people feel that they're there for us? And if those people don't feel it, they won't vote for us. And Donald Trump will win. Thank you very much, Ms. Williamson. Okay, so you see that that is met with an, a roaring applause. <laughs> I don't know. What was she saying? That the dark the dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred of Donald Trump. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. But but you see how emotional she was. She made an emotional connection. She got out a, 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 a few good buzzwords in there. She created an, a, a, a compelling future. These are all very um, these are all very good influencing techniques. And you saw how the crowd reacted. She made, I mean, she got one thing right for sure. If you have money, you, you will not find yourself in the situations in Flint, Michigan. I, I don't think it's a race issue. It's a poverty issue, okay? If, if you have money, money talks. You're not going to be sitting in Flint five years after your, your water supply goes kaputz drinking bottled water. No, you get the hell out of there because you have money. Why you, that's why it's important to be rich. It's why we should, we should value being rich. As long as you get rich by helping other people, like you would in a free economy, like you would in a free market, we should value that. We should strive for that. You shouldn't be sitting around looking to government to improve your lives because that's what you get. You get Flint, Michigan. You get a poisoned water supply and no solution for five years while you sit around waiting and waiting and begging and they keep taxing you. You got you to gotta make money. You have to be rich so that you can avoid those types of situations. That, that, that's the real dynamic here. It's not about being black or white. It's about being rich or poor. Which side do you want to be on? Anyway, I mean, she's, she's totally nuts. <laughs> Obviously, but so is the vast majority of the Democratic Party. So I look forward to seeing more from her. And um, I don't know. We'll see. It was only one debate. And they did go on. I, I want to I get into, obviously, the most important topic. And if you think I'm talking about climate change, you're wrong. It's racism. Because I think this ties in nicely to our delusional theme. They had a whole segment of the debate dedicated to racism. Because we all have to announce to the world as if 99% of people don't already know and agree that racism is bad. And by the way, don't you know, Donald Trump is a racist. <laughs> He's a racist because he attacked Congressman Cummings and said bad things about Baltimore. Right? And so here is Amy Klobuchar, I think I finally said it right this time, on the topic of racism. What do you say to those Trump voters who prioritize the economy over the president's bigotry? <laughs> okay, pause it right there. Uh, CNN is cancer. It should be called the cancerous news network. That, uh, what kind of question is that? It's, it's some great unbiased moderating right there, right? Nice and impartial, you know, no big deal. Over the president's bigotry. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Well... First of all, uh, there are people that voted for Donald Trump before that aren't racist. They just wanted a better shake in the economy. And so I would appeal to them. But I don't think anyone can justify what this president is doing. Little kids literally woke up this weekend, turned on the TV, and saw their president calling their city, the town of Baltimore, nothing more than a home for rats. And I can tell you, as your president, that will stop. This is where the delusion, you see the delusion spill over into everyday life. Nowhere else do I think exemplifies how we are all supposed to remain delusional to push political agendas than in the areas of racism and the reporting on it. The reporting on this Baltimore thing is ridiculous. The denial of reality to further your political agenda to attack Donald Trump is 
incredible. We're now supposed to pretend that Baltimore doesn't have pockets that look like third world countries? Those are Bernie Sanders' words, by the way, not mine. That Baltimore, we're, we're supposed to pretend that Baltimore is this beautiful place to live, sunshine and butterflies everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's the Shangri-La of the East Coast. I mean, give me a fucking break, dude. Give me a break. There's a show. Everybody loves this show. It's called The Wire. It's The Wire about. It's about political corruption and gang violence and how big of a shithole Baltimore is. It's literally what the entire show is about. And you get all these reporters coming out. Oh, there are some really nice places of Baltimore, too. Look at here's a university, and here's a nice neighborhood, and there's a nice neighborhood. And, like, in between shots, you see complete squalor everywhere. You're missing the point. The point is not that there are some nice areas of Baltimore. The point is that there are some really, really bad areas of Baltimore, and we should do something about it. And, and you just completely ignore that. You completely ignore a very important topic that could actually get addressed, and instead you just slam Trump for being insensitive, for presenting it in an insensitive way. And you had that, oh, God, who is that one reporter who started crying? Who cried because, he's, because Trump said infested? Let's, uh, <laughs> let me pull up that. I got to pull up that sound. Hang on. This morning, the president attacked another member of Congress on Twitter. This time, it's House Oversight Committee Chairman Elijah Cummings. He wrote this. Cummings' district is a disgusting, rat and rodent-infested mess. If he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could help clean up this very dangerous and filthy place. No human being would want to live there. Infested. That's usually reserved for references to rodents and insects, but we've seen the president invoke infestation to criticize lawmakers before. You see a pattern here? Just two weeks ago, President Trump attacked four minority congresswomen. Why don't they go back to the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Reminder, three of them were born here. All of them are American. Infested, he says. A week before his inauguration, January 2017, Congressman John Lewis should spend more time on fixing and helping his district, which is in horrible shape and falling apart, not to mention crime infested. Donald Trump has tweeted more than 43,000 times. He's insulted thousands of people, many different types of people. But when he tweets about infestation, it's about black and brown people. September 2014, at the height of an urgent health emergency, why are we sending thousands of ill-trained soldiers into Ebola-infested Ebola areas of Africa? Bring the plague to the U.S.? Obama is so stupid. Infested, he says. There's a revolution going on in California. So many sanctuary areas want out of this ridiculous crime-infested and breeding concept. Infested, he says. The president says about Congressman Cummings' district, that no human would want to live there. You know who did, Mr. President? I did. From the day I was brought home from the hospital to the day I left for college. And a lot of people I care about still do. There are challenges, no doubt. But people are proud of their community. I don't want to sound self-righteous, but people get up and go to work there. They care for their families there. They love their children who pledge allegiance to the flag, just like people who live in districts of congressmen who support you, sir. They are Americans, too. We'll be right back. Okay, so that is Victor Blackwell of CNN, the cancerous news network. And, I mean, he keeps harping on the word infested. He says crime-infested every single time. They're all crime-infested, crime-infested. That's a common turn of phrase. Trump didn't invent that. Oh, I'm sorry. one time he talked about Ebola, Ebola infested. That's actually the proper use of the word infested. <laughs> I mean, how else would you describe it? How else are you supposed to describe an, an Ebola affected area? I guess you could do it, say it that way. It doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> it's just like, 
Oh, every time he uses it, he's talking about black and brown people. No, every time he used it, he was talking about crime. Are you CNN, Victor Blackwell? Are you are you insinuating that only black and brown people commit crime? That sounds awfully racist to me. <laughs> and then he starts crying. He starts crying on air because Trump said no human would want to live there. You're you're taking him way too literally. Okay? And I mean, what kind of a black guy is are you? What kind of a I have never met a black guy who would cry over some mean words. I mean, I don't even think you can go back to Baltimore. That was the other thing. You know who used to live there? You know who's from Baltimore? Me. I used to live there. Yeah, used to being the operative word. Used to. You still live there? No. No, because it's crime infested. You got out. As soon as you made some money, you moved on. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I don't think you can go back. I don't think you can go back to Baltimore after crying on the air. You're going to get, I, I, I mean, the black guys I know will rag on you for a lot less than crying on national TV. I, I'm just saying. Oh, my God. And then there was the, this, the whole Ilan Omar thing, that interview that surfaced from two, two, 2018. This delusion. Like, we just have to deny reality. We have to live in this delusional state where, where she says that we need to be more afraid of white men committing crimes than, than anybody else because they commit the majority of them. Well, yeah, obviously. Obviously, they commit the most crime because they make up the majority of the population. You have to account for the percentage. The, the, the hypocrisy here is off the charts. This is a group of people that does nothing but talk about how there is all this inequality if you account for what percentage of the population this group or that group makes up. They'll never be satisfied unless every company has a workforce comprised of people in perfect proportion to their existence in society. If black people make up 13% of the population, well, then we need 13% of the CEOs to be black or something nefarious is going on, right? We hear this all the time. Or they'll talk about how there are all these disparate impacts, like black people make up 13% of the population, but 50% of the prison population, or whatever it is. In, in those cases, they're all about using the proportional makeup of the population. But then when it comes to white men, well, it doesn't matter. We, we don't account for that. We'll just take gross numbers. Are, are, we, are we just supposed to pretend that the vast majority of crime isn't committed by a very small percentage of the population? Not just black people, but black males. Not just males, but males between the ages of like 15 and 35. It's a very small percentage. And we can talk about why that is. There are a number of factors. I don't think race has anything to do with it. I lay the vast majority of the blame at the feet of the federal government. Their war on drugs, their minimum wage, their welfare policies that break up families. There are a number of factors that go into that. And poverty being the main driving force. But I mean, come on, man. Are we supposed to pretend that it's the white neighborhoods we're we need to be afraid of? Do we really need to deny that reality to live in delusion in the name of being politically correct? What good does that do anybody? What good does that do to solve the problem? I mean, really, what's worse? What's more offensive? What I've just said here or that over the next few days, 40 black people will be shot in the south side of Chicago, maybe killed. The vast majority, almost all of it, of the murders you read about in the news, you know, eight dead, 40 shot this past weekend in Chicago, it's all in minority neighborhoods on the south and west side. Are we really going to pretend that if I just go walking around a Jewish neighborhood in the north side of Chicago, north suburb of Chicago, where all the white people are, I'm in more danger than walking around on the south side? I mean, come on, what are we doing here? What are we doing? What are we doing? Just to attack Donald Trump, we're going to pretend that, that we live in this bizarro world? What good does that do anybody? You're not reporting on the actual problem. You just make it all about Trump. Ugh, it's, it's really frustrating to watch this happen. But seriously, we need to wise up to this, okay? Do not let them trick you into living a life of delusion. These issues are too important. 
if you really care, if you really care about poverty, if you really care about race relations, if you really want to solve any problems, you have to, you can't deny reality. You have to address what's actually going on and get to the root of the problem. Pretending that Baltimore is some paradise cove on the East Coast does not help the people that are, that are struggling over there. It doesn't benefit them at all. And they're the ones that are stuck in it. And if you don't want to be one of these delusional bobblehead voters, if you want to see through all the nonsense, if you want to see all of these issues, government included, for what they really are, for the charade that they really are, then you need to keep listening to this show. You need to download and subscribe. Share it with your friends. Share this episode with at least at least two people. I know you guys are interested in these debates. So share it with them. Share it with two people you think would like to hear it. Share it with another person that you think I just offended over the last 10 minutes or so. That's great. All right? And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. I also just created a, an Instagram account. I'm still trying to get the hang of it, (laughs) but I'm on Instagram now at peddling fiction, something or other. You should be able to find me. And if you want to become a supporting member of the show, go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter. That is free. Get it once a week. And if you can do all that, I will be back on Monday with Johnny the Jew to recap the second part of round two of debates. And until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.